0: I know how to stand up to a man.
1: Okay. I'm white and I've got everything I need. No one clutches their presses when they're in a room alone with me. And I can contrive for any neighborhood I please at any hour and the police don't do. Leave it alone and fucking flip it I'm a straight white male in America i got everything I need I'm a guy getting paid more than a girl with a degree And I can walk down the streets after dark No one wants to rape me And I can get a girl pregnant And just as easily flee like my straight white male, dad did to me. So if I see a penny on the ground, I leave it alone and fucking flip it. I'm a straight white male in America. I've got all the luck I need. I've got a pile of broken. And I'm walking under ladders And I'm spilling tons of salt But to me that doesn't matter Cause my skin and my gender and my orientation Are the best things to have if you live in this nation I recommend it highly! So if I see a penny on the ground I leave it alone and fucking flip it I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need, shit's gonna work out for me, cause I'm a straight white male in America, I've got all the luck I need.
2: Hey everyone, welcome to the season finale of the Intellectual Dollar Tree. We do this show live every Wednesday, all year fucking round, 7pm Pacific, right here on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Media, also simulcasting some other places, but like whatever. Um, you can support this project by going to ecoplexmedia.com and clicking the support tab. The best way to support is the memberships or the merch over there at uh, Fourth Wall. But also, you can just give me money. Just streamlabs.com/ecoplexmedia. That works too. Uh, I'm producer Dave. You can find me on Grinder. I appear to be flying solo this evening. HK is on adventures. I assume moving is hard, so uh, he'll probably be back for the uh, season opener uh, next Wednesday, which. Coincidentally, will be my birthday, turning uh, 29 again next Wednesday. Um, what a way to celebrate. We're going to watch the dumbest people pretending to be smart on the Internet. I know that's what you want to do for your birthday, so that's what I'm doing for mine. Um, anyway, this this isn't great, <laughs> this thing we're about to watch. I mean, it's appropriate that we are uh, finishing the season uh, this way because it is... um. Once again, Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris have had a an extended, pedantic, and probably infuriating conversation during which they will pretend to disagree profoundly, but you know, they'll just really kind of glad hand with each other, I'm presuming. Let's, uh, I guess let's start this.
0: Hello, everyone. I'm pleased to- Hello, everyone, to happy day. For 2024. Beginning in early February and running through June, Tammy and I, an assortment of special guests, are going to visit 51 cities in the U.S. You can find out more information about this on my website, jordanbpeterson.com, as well as accessing all relevant ticketing information. Oh, don't go to that. I'm going to use the tour to walk through some of the ideas I've been working on in my forthcoming book, out November 2024. We who wrestle with God. Oh dear! I'm looking forward to this. I'm thrilled to be able. to- Twelve rules for God. I'll be pleased to see all of you again soon. Bye bye.
3: So the, the moral confusion here is that you have many well-educated people who uh, will make very fine-grained distinctions about uh, moral norms in the context of you know living in, you know in 21st century America. You know they'll they'll consider words to be violence, and you know the the misgendering of people to be a a profound microaggression. But you ask them to consider whether you know someone like Malala Yousafzai was badly treated by the Taliban.
2: Wait, what? They become tongue-tied. But that's because they don't know who the fuck that is, Sam.
0: Hello, everyone hello everyone Today, i have the opportunity to talk to sam harris once again sam and i have spoken many times and usually publicly in the past trying to sort out our mutual understanding in relationship to such topics as well morality fundamentally both sam and i are convinced to the core of our beings you might say that there is a true and not merely relative distinction between good and evil, although we differ to some degree in how that distinction might be characterized and what the fact of that distinction means with regard to belief. And so every time I talk to Sam, I'm interested in trying to understand, for example, what he really means by (laughs) objecting to the religious propositions that he does object to as one of the horsemen of- Oh, for fuck's sake. Ah, uh, it's gonna be this one again. Oh God, I hate this one. New hate, new atheist movement, so called. Especially given that Sam is also uh, committed to what you might describe as a religious practice. He's an avid meditator and certainly believes that spiritual experience is not only real but perhaps the most real uh, form of experience that's available to us. So. We're going to hash through that, again, to try to distinguish yeah, the same conversation dogma again.: knowledge, right. to try to distinguish between religious exper- experience per se, or the religious experience that's valuable and a counterproductive totalitarian dogmatism, and to try to lay that all out with forays into the domains of, well, meditative practice. and: uh, Happy New Year, everyone.: Occasional description and discussion of the political. So it's good to see you again, Sam. And I think the first thing that I will ask you about is I'm just curious. We haven't talked for, I think it's almost a year now. I believe that's the case. And so the first thing I'm curious about is what, what are you up to? Uh, it feels like two years. I feel like our last
3: conversation was in the, in the very depths of COVID. And, uh, I was in some basement lair. Uh, so I, I, uh, live in Maui. two years. Um, There's no basement. Things are great. I mean, it's really a a nice time of life. It's just its nice with the family. It's nice professionally. It's just a, I'm in a good spot. It's a, you know, I'm all too aware that things can change. So I'm enjoying my moment. No, 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 they can't. But um, it's really a beautiful period of life. Yeah. So what's good? What's good, homie? In terms of just how I spend my time day to day, it's uh, it really has become... A, uh, a semi seamless machine for producing well being. I mean, it's, it's really I, I'm doing what I want to do moment to moment, and uh, being rich is helpful. Lots of people who want me to do it, so it's it's just um, there's not much distance between what I have to do, certainly professionally, and what I would do anyway, just because I want to do it. So it's um, I, mean, I just I count myself as
2: extraordinarily lucky to have found. My um, trust fund, like this guy would have never had to work his entire life, regardless of if you if would have become um, a somewhat famous public intellectual I and mean, nobody ever brings that up. My path here and,
3: and that it's working. So it's, it's, um, yeah, I mean, I just, have, I have no, I have no complaints. It would be indecent to complain about anything personally at this point, except for the, the, the passage of
0: time and, and the implications of that, which I, which I, I know all too well yeah well i would say that you look both younger and happier than you did the last time i saw you and you know i i got quite attuned in my clinical practice to watching people's faces obviously but Mm. but also seeing to some degree the way that they're set habitually you know and you look you look very good and so i'm i'm very happy to hear you said Mm. something i i think he's aging better than ben stiller interest to me is that you have managed and also attribute this to some degree to good fortune, to bring together what you have to do with what you would want to do. and Really helps when your mom was uh, had that golden girl's a money. A sign of optimality of function, well, as well as the good fortune that we just described. And so, what is it that you think that you're doing that's enabled you? I mean, I know that you've been concentrating to a large degree on meditative practice, for example, but what is it that you think you've done to the to your attitude, let's say to your patterns of attention, that he got it, the fuck off Twitter. So now, like when people dunk on him,
2: he doesn't see it.
0: Enabled you to bring what you need to do and what you want to do in alignment. Well, um,
3: I mean, this has been happening for quite some time. It's you know, this is. Uh, I would say that this has been, you know, t- it's taken me twenty years to, f- to fully get my. My professional life and my core interests to gel, and so part of that is having built out platforms where I can just follow my interests as, as and, and follow the, kind of the needs of the moment. You know, whether it's journey responding to something that's in the news or just figuring out what um, what, I'm, what I most want to pay attention to any given day or week. Uh, so, he used to I mean, name search you know, himself on Twitter a every thirty minutes. <laughs> podcast making sense. And I have the the app waking up, which is. You know, I started at narrowly focused as a a meditation app but it's much more of a an applied philosophy app at this at this point it's just expanded beyond meditation and, and it's expand, expanded beyond well beyond my contributions to it so it's um, there are many other people on it and so i can i can bounce between those two platforms you know however i see fit and they're and they're while superficially they're similar because they're just it, me pushing MP3 files out to the world, they're just just au- audio uh, uh, platforms in the end. They're totally unlike one another with respect to the, the kinds of topics I tend to engage and the kinds
2: of interactions with the world that provokes. So it's it's... So it's really quite, it's almost like I'm living. But like, they're not disconnected in the way that he's saying we watched an episode or we listened to an episode of his podcast where he said that people couldn't really understand his point of view if they had not sufficiently meditated or some, something along those lines. Like that, you couldn't really understand what he was saying if you had not achieved some kind of spiritual enlightenment. And I may be, I may be like overstating what he said, but not by a whole hell of a lot. Lives
3: simultaneously because I'm waking up the app, I get, it's, it's no exaggeration to say it, it's, it's, it's almost uniformly uh, just pure positivity coming back at me, you know, apart from Mm. the Mm -hmm. the occasional, Mm -hmm. you know, software glitch that crashes somebody's phone and we hear about that. It's just that there's no distance between what I'm intending to put out and the effect I'm hoping to have and the effect that uh, i i in fact seem to be having but that's
2: because the meditation app is like a paywalled like walled garden where only people who really like sam harris are accessing the content the feedback so and and this was you know this has been
3: uh it was launched almost exactly five years ago so for five years i've had this look at this kind of alternate life it's almost like a a counterfactual life to the one I, I hadn't managed to lead where I could sidestep all pointless controversy and annoying,
2: uh, you know, bad faith criticisms and just meet. People. Oh, annoying bad faith criticisms. That just means anybody who made fun of him. That's what he means. When this guy says bad faith, I think, I think Jordan too, when he talks about uh, criticism being in bad faith, Brett and Eric too, they mean ridicule. They don't mean that you don't believe what you're saying, which is what bad faith would actually mean—that you're just saying it maybe to piss them off or to be a contrarian or to score like points or to clout chase or any of that. They literally just mean that you're making fun of them at at a place
3: where what I have to give is found valuable by them, in in precisely the, the the way that I would hope. Right. So it's just it's like a a purely positive encounter with with legions of people um which again because of my experience as an author and as, as a podcaster i had lost sight of that even being a possibility right i just i had lost sight of the fact that there are people in this world who have careers where they don't get any grief from the world because the world just
2: understands what they're putting out and they like yeah but those people, people, people like. have chosen not to be public figures these are people like my mom or like many of you most of you in the chat you don't get any public grief for what you do at work because nobody, nobody in the fucking world, except for the people you work with and maybe your friends and family even know what you do. Like it and they get paid for it. And it's just, it's a, it's a transaction that makes everybody happy. And so it's like opening. Well, he thinks where that people's loves. jobs, he's like, Oh, there's just a, you know, most people out there, their jobs are just transactional and everybody's happy. What? Again, you, if you've never had to take a job that you didn't want to pay your bills, um, then, yeah, you would probably think that that's how everybody else lives. Loves the
3: the scones, and the, you know, it's, it's just it's you know, there's just nothing bad about it. Um, and and yet, I find that you know, and this, you know, I'm sure you feel the same way. I can't stay merely in that lane because there are other topics of social importance that I feel a need to comment on. And so I have my podcast and. Public speaking, or or books, or any other channel, but, but I wish to do that. And and you know, mostly I'm I'm doing my podcast for that. But so I still have a, a foot in the water of controversy, um, and I'm sure we'll get into some of those controversy controversies here. But it's to have both is such a a um, a source of sanity because I, mean, I can I can just swim in whatever waters I
2: want to swim in on a daily basis. So it's, it's it's quite wonderful. Um, and he means in the pool in his backyard in Malibu.
0: So why do you just out of curiosity? So while there's, there's a substantial parallel, I would say between the situation you're in and the situation that I'm in, given what you just described, Mm -hmm. because one of the reasons that I continue to tour continually, essentially is because it's completely positive and i i engage in almost no political discussion almost no culture war discussion almost th- all this is incorrect well you're uh you talk about your waking up uh, system and i suppose i'm walking on a parallel line insofar as i'm encouraging people to aim up and i don't know if there's any difference between waking up and aiming up perhaps there is and we can talk about that but it is a great relief to be in a domain that's entirely positive. this and, is
2: the isn't it great that we're having this conversation part of the conversation? They're just drawing it out and
0: a lot then but then it is interleaved for me as it is for you with some degree of combat, let's say on the more philosophical and culture war side of things how why have you concluded sometimes I wonder, Sam, if it wouldn't be just as well stay in the positive domain all the time. And I know that you are no longer on Twitter, for example. And so that's obviously one of the places where you've detached yourself from the proliferation of, you might say, unnecessary and polarizing conflict. But you just did indicate that you feel either a moral obligation or an intellectual pull towards keeping abreast of the domain of life that constitutes more problems. And so, why do you think that balance is necessary? Why don't you forego that entirely and stay within the domain of the positive? I mean, you seem to have concluded that balancing them is actually better for you in some sense, or maybe better in general. So why did you conclude that?
3: Yeah, well, it's a question I continue to ask myself because um, you know you only have one life, or you, you know I would say you only have one life you can be sure of, and so why not live it in the the happiest manner possible.
2: Um, But I know the, yeah. Like uh, somebody in the chat said, he just got tired of people making fun of him on Twitter because the guy is kind of fun to make fun of because he takes himself so incredibly seriously. And like, and he's not always like, he doesn't always hit the mark and none of us always hit the mark, but you know, he wanted he he didn't he didn't seem to want the back and forth of twitter where regular people can respond to what you're saying i think he mostly left cuz sam cedar makes fun of him
3: i do find that there are certain moments first of all my interests are 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 wider than can be encompassed just by things like meditation and and narrowly focusing on on questions about how to live the, the most meaningful possible life, right? It's not it's not all just about maximizing mental pleasure or um, even one's, you know, ethical wisdom moment to moment, there's things that interest me that I want to talk about that really don't belong over waking up, but they do belong on my podcast. So talking about, you know, physics, say, right, that's just interesting. And, and I like to do that. Mm, mm, um, mm. So there's that. Um, as you say, I, I've I deleted my Twitter account, which is, you know, is a an important part of the answer to your first question of just what has gotten better for me in, in the last 12 months. Um, that was, just, you know, I I really am embarrassed to say what a life hack that turned out to be to get off Twitter.
2: You know, I imagine you're like one of the smartest people in the world or supposedly the smartest person in the world. And you're like, I have a great life hack. I went to this place. I said things. Uh, most of them were, you know, kind of milquetoast, boring kind of center left or center right stuff. And then I'd just kind of wild out about uh, race or gender and then people would make fun of me. And so I just deleted the place that people made fun of me. And now I'm happier again with my big pile of money. Wow. Fucking genius. We can talk about why
3: I did if you want, but uh, the net result has been Almost unambiguously positive. I mean, there's a, there's a slight sense, that, you know, certainly when the things in the news are are really heating up, that I'm I could be missing something, or you know, I'm not, I'm not party to the conversation that's happening at
2: that. Sir, you could get a sock account that you just read Twitter on, kind of interval, you know, where people are responding to things every every thirty seconds.
3: But the, the truth is, I don't have to be because I, you know, that uh, what I have found is that. When you don't have an opportunity to just blurt out your in instantaneous response to something that's happening in the news or something that you saw in your timeline, and you have to let that, let your response to it cure over the course of days. In the-
2: <laughs> or you could be like, oh, I'm not going to tweet yet. I don't have all the information. I'm going to hold off on this one. I'm going to not get into this particular thing because i don't have the the requisite body of knowledge and i haven't done enough reading on it and then you just kind of see what other people are saying and try to feel it out that's what i do with most issues that come up especially like controversial ones it's not that i don't have like like my opinions about controversial issues it's that it's that i don't want to just be the take guy and then he was just the take guy and his takes were ranging from like boring and self-important to like like bigoted and incorrect and uh people made fun of uh, both of those actually as you should okay it's because you know i have to decide
3: okay is this important enough for me to actually talk about it on my podcast and i might not be you know podcasting again for another three days or even a week and so many things don't survive that test. they, you know, they just they just ninety eight percent of things just
2: fall by the wayside because, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah, yeah. It's like when you go shopping, right? Think about this. Here's how you this is how you go shopping. You go, do I need this? What if I wait? And, uh, what am I giving up if I buy this? This is this is what you think when you this guy can't even go shopping, probably because the Twitter version of that is, Do I need to comment on this? The second one's the same. What if I wait? And what kinds of bad things might happen to me if I say something stupid about this? (laughs) And like, I don't understand. Like, this is like, this is like, this is like what you teach, like a, like a, like a middle schooler basically about self-control. And this guy just doesn't, he can't, it doesn't seem like he's got that is you didn't have to broadcast your opinion
3: about that thing that happened on that campus you know by that you know that indiscretion committed by that stupid blue-haired person right so it's just like you, di- you didn't have to weigh in and you didn't have to reap all of the the attendant poison of having weighed in and you didn't have to worry about whether you should mm-hmm, respond mm-hmm, to that poison mm-hmm. and those mi- those mm-hmm. misunderstandings generated there and i noticed in retrospect that and I dimly, I dimly knew this when I was on Twitter, but I didn't fully appreciate it until I was off, that it was no exaggeration to say that, that basically every bad thing in my life, you know, apart from, you know, the, the sickness of the people close to me, um, was a result of something I had done on Twitter, right? Or there's, or something yeah, that I had yeah. seen on I Twitter can
2: relate to that. that I felt I needed to respond to. So yeah, but just- that's, that's because that's what happens like when you because we're all like, and this is just human nature. We're all the hero in our own story, or we like to think of ourselves this way. And so, if we all think that it's us versus the world, me versus the world, if you, th- we all think that. I, I don't care what anybody says. You think it's you versus the world in some way. And if you have never been in a situation where, for example, you could not get your material needs met because um, your mother was um, uh, creatively and financially involved in, one of the biggest television series that ever happened. And outside of that, your brother is a famous journalist who would also catch you if you fall. Um, then you don't have those struggles. And so you turn like people dunking on you in on Twitter into you versus the world. What else, if you needed to have that battle, what else would it be? If you were a public figure who talked about controversial issues.
3: Just this kind of hallucination, hallucination machine that I had invited into the center of my life, and getting rid of it really modified my sense of not not just what I have to do on a day to day basis and what I should do, but just of, of my own existence, right? Like, but there was something about my digital existence that was claiming too much real estate in my my conception of myself as a person yeah. right
0: and well I, you yeah. you might have put your you might have put your finger on it at least to some degree there with um, something like your observation about whether or not you're willing to put time into it you know i've had many discussions with my family about twitter in, in particular and i would tend to agree with you that much of the negativity that i do run into in my life is a consequence of Twitter.
2: and Well, it's not a consequence of, because Twitter, honestly, I mean, it's worse now than ever, but it's just a a communication platform. There's plenty of people on Twitter who just follow accounts, maybe they're into muscle cars, and they just follow accounts about muscle cars, and their experience on Twitter, if they just stay on the following tab, it's just fucking people talking about their muscle cars, or people who are into aquariums, or something so you don't have to enter the culture war and you can to the extent that uh, twitter is a decent platform now you can have decent experiences on there but if you go in there like sam does like jordan does and like i have and you're like i am here for the culture war i am here to dunk on people tell people when they're wrong try to try to gain influence and get my and spread my ideas then you, that's the ticket you bought, and that's the ride that you're going to take. And you don't have to actually leave Twitter to get off the ride, right? Like, if you don't like a particular ride at Disneyland, just don't get on that ride anymore. You can stay at Disneyland. If you don't like the churros, don't
0: go to the churro stand. Now, I use Twitter to stay abreast of the sorts of things that you describe that might be able to get access to on twitter as well current events and there is that temptation to respond immediately but you intimated that maybe a rule a good rule of thumb is something like if you're not willing to sit down and think about it for an hour let's say then perhaps it's not important enough. But I don't think like this, this is this,
2: I, and maybe other people are different than me, but if I, if I'm like, well, here's a subject matter, I'm going to sit and think about it for an hour. I'll get about five minutes into that and get bored. (laughs) Right. Cause I don't know like what exactly I am going to accomplish by essentially talking to myself in my head about something that maybe I don't understand or don't have like a whole bunch of knowledge about. What if you spend an hour uh, checking and seeing what other people who have um, maybe even different opinions than you or people who have uh, subject matter expertise, see what they're saying, spend an hour doing that before you decide whether or not it's time for you to weigh in. Cause just, just sitting there and thinking about it is like, okay. Then you, you
0: sat and thought about it. So what people think about things all the time, your opinion with millions of people and reap the consequential well, and reap the consequences. You know, and Twitter is, although it's it's a social media platform that facilitates impulsivity, it's also a broad-scale publishing platform. And it's not obvious that you should be publishing all your instantaneous, re- instantaneous responses to cultural events. And it's a funny thing for me because it's not that easy to dissociate that from responsibility. You know, I feel that I have a responsibility to bring to light. So let's say certain elements of the culture war that are going. Okay, then you have delusions of grandeur. It is not your responsibility
2: to tweet about the culture war. This is just not anybody's responsibility. It's not my responsibility. It's not Jordan's. It's not Sam's. It's not yours. This is not your responsibility. This sounds like the. This sounds like again these for different reasons. These people are both so financially well off that they actually don't
0: have any responsibilities. on at a deep level and and part of the reason that i use twitter the way that i do use it is to do that but then it does have that problem of intense negativity and i learned from walking through airports with my wife we had this discussion a couple of times airports have bothered me a lot ever since 9-11 i review them as they're like the for me they're the the bleeding edge of the totalitarian incursion into day-to-day life. <laughs> the motherfucker, it's an airport and you fly first class. Get the fuck out of here. And they've always made me very uncomfortable. I don't like lining up for, for, for the in, you know, for the, for the screenings, the theatrical screenings and so forth. And that made me very bitchy and hard to get along with in an airport. And-
2: <laughs> no, sir. I think that's just, you're just dispositionally that way. And yeah, I mean, nobody likes airports, but it's not that bad. Okay. Oh, you got to wait in line. Oh, well, fucking woe is you. You ever been to the fucking post office?
0: You know, I had a conversation with my wife, a fairly detailed conversation. And our decision was, if I'm in an airport and something happens that that annoys me, but isn't important enough to actually sit down and write about, then I should... I have to just ignore it or shut up about it. And this has also helped me calibrate my responses. And it's the same problem with Twitter, right? Is that something can be irritating and be genuinely irritating, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the most appropriate way to deal with it is to share your irritation in the moment. Oh, that would be, you'd be so bad if you worked
2: at an airport and you were like, you know, middle management, like at the fucking TSA screening. And this guy got annoyed with somebody and wanted to talk to you. Oh, oh, that's like, that's like, that's like fucking reason for hazard pay. <clears throat> every moment every fucking five minutes, this guy's complaining to you, you should get
0: $500. Part of the reason Twitter is so pathological perhaps, and is such a snake pit of polarization is because it does encourage that kind of impulsive and immediate response to things that are perhaps of sufficient seriousness, so that they should only be taken seriously.
3: Yeah, it encourages many things that I think are ultimately producing some consequential delusions for us you know, individually and at scale. Um, I mean, so, so it is, it it provides a kind of an, an illusion of conversation because, you know you know, you'll tweet something at me, I'll tweet something at you, and we seem to be talking. But as you know, we're, we're primarily talking in front of our respective audiences, which are different, which are largely different, right? So when I say something to you, you know, it's, it's my audience is at my back and, and, and vice versa. So, so much uh, communication becomes performative and that starts to degrade the, you know, the kind of the good faith characteristics of a real conversation and people just wind up scoring points on each other and-
1: you
2: know, Yeah, and you end up losing. Like most of the time people with much smaller audiences than him have just been able to dunk on him. It encourages that that's the kind of thing, you know, dunks are the kind of thing that tend to go viral. Um, (laughs) But they don't go viral just because they're mean. It goes viral because people find it uh, funny. And usually because there's something true about it, something that people find interesting. It's the problem here is that a lot of the people that go after him and Jordan are actually kind of funny. we will make funny videos about them using these people's content and these people are both deeply unfunny. And so they can't really deploy that. And so when that's deployed against them in the battle of ideas, they fucking lose. And they don't like it.
3: For a kind of dishonesty like you, it, there's an ethic where you know, there are very few people feel a, a real need. I mean, certainly any, anyone who's any kind of activist politically, left or right, doesn't feel much of a need to really get their opponent's position correct before savaging it. They 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 don't mind distorting it, especially if they can use clips of their opponent that have been
2: artfully edited so as to, to make them seem to be saying something they weren't, in fact, saying in context. Oh, oh, I don't think he could level that criticism at the intellectual dollar tree. The show gets a little tiring sometimes because we get the whole context. We watch the whole thing.
3: They they will use that as a way of just smearing the person. You, you, you want to hold someone accountable for the, for the worst possible version of what they might have said, however implausible it, it, it really is, as long as that can be made to stick. And people just see what can be made to stick. And they almost never go back and clean up their, you know, apologize for their errors and, 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 uh, and go back and clean up their mess. And people do this. You know, people, you know, when blue check marks meant something,
2: there were a lot of blue check marks who would behave this way. right. And, so, like, he's, again, just, like, leaving out the fact that, like, if you clip somebody out of context and they said something funny and stupid, that's funny.
3: Journalists and or or people who are treated as journalists, and I, you know, as a point of principle, really have always tried to avoid that. I mean, whenever I get somebody somebody's views wrong, however odious I find their views, or how odious I find them as a person, I
2: I you know I apologize for that and correct the record. But I found. I myself- don't think you. I think you. You. You'll do it, but you'll do it for people who you view to be like, I guess, kind of culturally and dispositionally part of your tribe. <clears throat> like he would do it for a Tucker Carlson, but not for Noam Chomsky. Uh, he would do it for if he uh, originally got it right about Doug Murray and was like, oh, this guy's a bit of a white supremacist. He'd do it for Doug Murray, but not for Sam Cedar, etc. Um. So. I don't think he does that. I think he does that when people are, I guess when people are big fans of academic window dressing like he is, like if he got me wrong, like, first of all, I would, I would go, I would absolutely throw a party if he mentioned me on his podcast. Um, But if he got me wrong, I don't think he'd come back and be like, oh, I got this guy wrong. I don't think he'd bother doing it continually in dialogue with people who didn't
3: play by those rules. Um, so it's set up to bring out the worst in us and to, and to degrade conversation way more fully than it's ever degraded in person. I mean, the, the thing that convinced me to get off Twitter is that I was seeing people behave like psychopaths by the you know, the, the tens of thousands, and I knew there couldn't be that many psychopaths, right? I knew there were, I knew these people couldn't be this dishonest or malicious in their lives. And in fact, in many cases, I knew this because I, I knew some of the people I had, had dinner with some of the people and you and I have, you know, have, have mutual
2: friends and, and colleagues. Ooh. Gay Dave having dinner with Sam Harris would be a very much the same experience as watching this podcast and watching me because I wouldn't like feel, I mean, I wouldn't want to get kicked out the fucking restaurant and shit. Right. But I, I don't think that, that I would just be super kind to him if we had dinner these people um
3: and yet i was seeing the absolute worst in them in terms of how they were engaging on twitter not just with me but with other people who you know they felt they needed to to slam um and I mean, we're seeing some of this i mean i think there's something like this happening i haven't really followed it but over the daily wire i mean you're you know, very close to you you've got candace and ben attacking
2: each other um so what if what if this guy leaves doesn't really leave open the um, possibility that people who are harshly criticizing one another truly believe the criticism that they're leveling at one another. He thinks that because it's harsh or rude or mocking that it must all just be to score points and it must all just be a performance. And I don't believe that. I, I think that's a wild thing to believe. I think that when people criticize other people, they usually mean what they're saying. I would
3: argue that th- that kind of thing is not only spilling out onto Twitter, it would it very likely wouldn't happen but for the existence of Twitter. And there are many things out happening out in the real world. No, it would just play that, out Sam, it would just play out on Facebook. Happen in response to something that's seen on Twitter. But then the, the, the you know, like some of the, many of these protests, these pro-Palestinian protests that, that have become so, such concern to many of us, especially on, you know, college campuses where you have otherwise very educated people expressing solidarity with, with, um, uh, you know, true
2: uh, ethical monsters, uh, in Hamas. What? Um, what we're seeing. Uh, weren't they complaining about campus free speech, like just a couple of years ago? Like. Again, he just wants to. He just he wants to deny the agency of people who are involved in a protest that he thinks is wrong. He doesn't. He doesn't. He thinks that those people are just evil because they're protesting a thing that he thinks they shouldn't be protesting, and it's not because they've thought about it and believe it. And you know, uh, crowds act weird, and you'll get a couple assholes in a crowd who do dumb things. No, 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 no worries there. Um, no disagreement there at a party you get it. So at a protest, you're going to get it too. But he, he just constantly does this where he just thinks that people who don't view things his way are not, have not thought it through. And that's you' he's just suggesting that they don't have agency of their own, essentially. And to be fair, he also doesn't believe in free will. But I don't think that's the same um, conversation or whatever. Scene is
3: something's getting provoked by imagery on Twitter, uh, however, half-baked. Uh, and then the response to it in the streets is is performative because it is, it, you know, it's it's meant for the streets, but it's really meant to be broadcast back on Twitter. Right. I mean, that people wouldn't yeah. be doing these things, but for the omnipresence of cell phones, what the be, fuck can be broadcast back. What does
2: he think protest used to look like before Twitter or even before the ubiquity of television? What does he think protest? What does he think protest used to look like? Do you think the fucking suffragettes when they were engaged in protests were just having like high minded conversations with a pocket watch and a monocle? Onto
3: social media, and so I, I just think we have built this reinforcement cycle for ourselves. This kind of feed-forward loop of, of that has eroded our capacity to to speak rationally to one another and to have good faith debates and, and you know, even even strong arguments. And it's produced a. Um, a machine for for amplifying, amplifying the narcissistic tendency of everyone yeah, yeah. wanting to, well, to just well, manufacture outrage,
0: so. Yeah, well, that's, well, you know, I think there's something, and you're pointing at this, I actually think there's something that's that that's technically going on, particularly with Twitter. And maybe it's proportionate to the degree to which a social media communication system capitalizes on, immedi- on immediacy of response. Like, I'm afraid that we're setting up virtual environments. They're virtual perceptual environments and communication environments that aren't well-matched to the underlying reality, which means they're delusional. And the delusional direction of Twitter is in the direction of enabling psychopathic behavior. Now, there's a research literature that's emerging on that. So, you see the people who are most likely to troll online, so to cause... To, to post things that they know perfectly well will do nothing but cause trouble are dark tetrad types. They're Machiavellian, narcissistic, psychopathic, and sadistic. And then. But sometimes trolling is just funny. It's like this guy would have hated the court jester. So it does bring those people out of the woodwork to a much greater degree than might be otherwise expected. But I also think, as you pointed out, that it does the same thing to those fragmentary psychopathic tendencies that exist in everyone. It's a it's a psychopathy facilitator. And yeah. the degree to which that is driving polarization in the broader culture is indeterminate. I think it might be driving almost all of it. Right. Right, that, because that, my, my, theory, my yeah. online life and my real life are so different that they almost bear no relationship to one another. Like, And, and I, I suspect this is something that you said you've been discovering, particularly as a consequence of working in the waking up space. You know, I mean, all the interactions I have with people in public, in my actual life, are unbelievably positive, with the exception of perhaps one in 5,000. Now, the one in 5,000 can be quite unpleasant, but it's statistically negligible.
2: But But, this is, wait a minute, that's because the people you choose to hang out with are the people you choose to hang out with. And when you're on Twitter, which is like a a public conversation, essentially, those aren't the people you've chosen to hang out with. That's just everybody on Twitter who happens upon what you're saying and might respond
0: to it. If you derived your expectation of my experience from the online world you'd expect that you know half the people that i ran into would be people that hated me and simply the 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 lack of concordance is so remarkable that it does look like it does look like the difference between a delusion and reality but there's also something to be said for
2: if you're going to dunk on someone that you see on twitter and they're a public figure and you see them walking down the street maybe you just fucking leave them alone Because they're just a they're a person walking down the street, so you just leave them alone. There's a ton of people I dunk on on Twitter. I wouldn't fucking just immediately start an argument with them when I saw them walking down the street. That's fucking
0: crazy. I think it's unbelievably dangerous. Like we have no idea what it means to compress people to the point where their communication tilts heavily in the psychopathic direction. We know have no idea what the broad scale social consequences of that might be.
3: Yeah, I so I feel so I, I share your experience I, again. my encounters in public are almost uniformly positive. I think the um, obviously there's a possibility of a selection effect there. That the only people who are likely to come up to you are the people who have something nice to say, and then you, ha- you have other people who are recognizing you who are just you know holding their tongues and they and they they don't like you. Yeah, even uh, Sam is like, well, wait a minute.
2: <laughs> yeah, because what do you you just. You, you can't just if you you can't just walk around in the real world looking for conflict there is a difference between Twitter and the real world and that's fine
3: um, and you you know we're both controversial figures and I, I, I have to think that that some percentage of the people who notice us in public are people who are not fans and just don't say anything
2: but still I, I've seen the effect. You know, yeah, I don't think I'd walk up to either of these people and start arguing with them. Well, there would be <clears throat> there'd be nothing for me to gain, and they might be able to use that encounter like in a in a way that m- either makes me look bad or makes them look like they've been abused in some way. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't do it. If I was at a dinner party and sat next to Sam and had to listen to him hold court for a while, yeah, I'd eventually fucking say something. But that's a different thing than seeing him walking down the street.
3: I've, I've joined the, the 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 two, the two groups, I, I know what it's like to deal with the same person on Twitter in front of their fans, versus over dinner. And it's, you know, they're, they're miles apart. And I, I just see there's um, so, so it is corrosive, even when, even when even in the best case, when we're not talking about anonymous trolls who are hiding behind, you know, their anonymity and just savaging you. These are people with real reputations who you you, you, you actually know and and uh, will likely meet again in person and yet Twitter brings out the absolute worst in them I mean for me the the, the, the very large the 800 pound canary in the coal mine for me is Elon I mean look at what Twitter has done to Elon's life right it's just yeah you know Elon used to be a friend you know he's somebody I, I knew reasonably well um you know his engagement with Twitter has been
2: uh, catastrophic because <laughs> they, they'd both go to a hollywood party and by the end of the party nobody else wanted to talk to either of them so there they were chatting with each other person from my point of view i mean it's just it's, it's clearly a, compuls- a compulsion i
3: mean he was so addicted to it that he felt he needed to buy the platform um but it is a you know his use of it has been so irresponsible and uh, produced such. I mean, forget about the harm he's produced in other people's lives. Uh, and, how, and, and, and nothing I'm saying now has, it, it, it relates to changes he's made to the platform. I mean, that's that's a separate thing that we can talk about. You know, I'm I'm I've always been agnostic as to whether or not he could actually improve Twitter as a as a platform, and he may yet wind up doing that. But I'm just talking about the way he has personally used it as a user of the platform and the way he's interacted with people and boosted signal boosted massively um, the profiles of anonymous QAnon lunatic trolls, right? I mean, he's, he's been completely cavalier in who he interacts with all the while knowing that anyone he boosts suddenly gets, you know, a million followers and, and, and has a platform that they, they don't get a million followers from an Elon boost. Um, so I look at him and I think, all right, okay, if, if someone of his talent who has so many other good things to do with his 24 hours in any given day uh, is, is this derailed by this platform? You know, is this is, is using it this compulsively to the obvious degradation of his reputation in most circles that count, right? I mean, he's, you know, he's not he He can't be cancelled because he's produced so many useful things, it, it, you know, and it, uh, embedded with things that everyone still wants. but man if he if if he were a little less productive,
2: you know, in space and and on the ground, yeah, but he's like he's like standing on the shoulders of the people who did the actual work for these things.
3: Um, we would never you know he'd be he'd be the next Alex Jones in terms of the way mainstream culture would view him um and it's, it's been terrible to see right it's been very depressing
2: to see uh, so um i want to read jordan peterson's notebook he keeps either writing or pretending to write things like during this conversation i want to i want to see that notebook and i you know i i guess i can blame him but i blame the stimulus
3: more i blame twitter i blame i blame I mean, for whatever reason he has found this to be the most addictive thing in his life and um and he's he's been willing to totally torch relationships over his use of it
2: let me ask you this question are you at peace with
0: the mindless green tire th- and fuck this ad yeah well it's definitely the case that One of the cardinal dangers of Twitter is its propensity to bring out the worst in people and and the worst in the culture. I mean, I guess it's an open question whether or not Musk's takeover of Twitter will result in the dramatic improvements to the platform that might justify the risk inherent in engaging with it. So, let's leave that a bit, Sam. I want to turn my attention, our attention, if you don't mind, to some of the deeper issues that you and i have discussed and i have a bunch of questions for you so the first thing i want to do is clarify something my recollection of particularly our last conversation and it was one that i found clarified my understanding of your thought to a greater degree than our previous conversations i had we had probably because i listened to you more was that and so correct me if i get this wrong because i want to use this as a platform to ask you some other questions my understanding after that conversation was that you were driven to search for a, an objective foundation for moral claims, primarily because you had become convinced of the existence of, for lack of a better term, of evil in the world, and were looking for, a, for solid ground to stand on in your attempts to both understand and combat the most malevolent proclivities of, the most malevolent proclivities, we could leave it at that. Now, is that, is that a reasonable, is that a reasonable conclusion? Have I got that right? Yeah, and I think my motive is, will
3: be pretty familiar to you. I, I you know, this came largely out of the collisions I was having with, uh, People after I wrote my first two books, *The uh, End of Faith* and *Letter to a Christian Nation*, where I was noticing you know, disproportionately on the left, uh, specifically. I mean, we've come full circle now to this moment, you know, in the news cycle. Uh, but um, you know, mostly in response to my criticism of, of Islamic extremism and uh, you know the, the kind of the urgency with which I was I was saying that. The Islamic doctrines of martyrdom and jihad are, you know, are sincerely believed by millions of people, and these
2: beliefs have real consequences in the world. So, and a lot of know, a lot of people that he had collisions with probably didn't read those books, or probably found those books to be non-controversial. I think they were. They, the collisions have been more about the uh, articles he's written and the things he's tweeted and the people he's been associated with, not his books, good
3: ones, right? And and we should we should talk about that honestly. What I was getting mostly from the left was, um, you know, what, what struck me as pure masochistic delusion, but it was on its own side, a very sophisticated philosophy of, you know, postmodernist truth claims about the, the relativity of everything, which, which, you know, in the minds of its adherents left us with no solid ground to stand on ever when making claims about right and wrong and good and evil. Uh, so, you know, I, I mean, the, the point where it it became, and this is something that I, this is actually a scene I, I, I wrote verbatim in my third book, The Moral Landscape, which is where I, I laid out you know, my, my argument on this on this topic. Um, I was at the Salk Institute at a, um, a conference that had been organized. It was either in 2006 or seven, I believe. Uh and I had said something disparaging about the Taliban in my remarks about you know, the, 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 the relationship between uh, moral values and and our, our growing scientific understanding of the human mind and human well-being and I said you know something you know th- that I, I should have been uncontroversial in that context I'm, I'm at the Salk Institute this you know preeminent scientific institution down in La Jolla, which is you know one of the nicest places on earth. Um, and, uh, you know, with an auditorium filled with, um, you know, well-heeled uh, people who are, appear to be enjoying their political f- freedom and, and their freedom of speech and freedom of everything. Um, and I said something about, uh, well, you know, we, we just know whatever, we, whatever remains to be discovered about the nature of morality and, and human value and human well-being, we know that the, the, Taliban, the Taliban don't have it perfectly right. Right. So if whatever the optimal way of living is, we know that the the Taliban haven't found it. Right. We know that forcing half the population to live in cloth bags and beating them or killing them when they try to get out is not an optimal strategy for maximizing human well-being.
2: Right. But the the problem is, is this would probably be the nine hundred and fiftieth time or something that he said that
3: a a, um, a woman academic. and she actually happened to be, or was later, a, a scientific advisor to, to President Obama uh, for medical ethics. Came up to me, and said, we—that's well, you know, just your opinion, right? And so then this this mm-hmm, this, mm-hmm. this led me to to realize just how I mean that is your opinion had spread, you know, that even the, here here is someone who is you know a, a woman academic uh, who's enjoying all the freedom of of.
2: You know, however, hard. Ooh, 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 this is, he's getting kind of close to that. Well, if you were in, if you, the Taliban was ruling, you wouldn't have the right to say that to me. He's getting awful close to that shit right here.
3: Uh,
2: they can be found in Western
3: society. Uh, presumably this is a, a person who would be, who would have um, responded to the, to the Me Too movement and, and, and all its moral urgency with, with alacrity. He was still open-minded, at least in the context of talking to me. About the treatment of women and girls under the Taliban,
2: right? And well, no, no, no. I, she wasn't. She was. She said that that was your, your opinion that the that the Taliban or that someone from the Taliban might not have some uh, moral or ethical revelation. And I tend to don't not agree that that I don't know. Maybe there is someone in the Taliban who might have some great moral or ethical revelation about something. Who fucking knows? It, I. detail our our further conversation, again, verbatim um,
3: in my book, because I literally, I was so astounded by the exchange that I I, I turned on my heels, literally in mid-sentence, walked straight back to my room and wrote down exactly what the two of us had said, because I just could not believe um, what had happened. Uh, So so the the moral confusion here is that you have many well-educated people who Will make very fine-grained distinctions about uh, moral norms in the context of you know living in, you know in 21st century America. You know they'll they'll consider words to be violence and you know the, the,
2: the misgendering of people to be a, a profound microaggression. Well, words can be violence, Sam. We have laws in every Western country about, uh, for example, conspiracy to commit murder. That is prosecuted as a violent crime, and it mostly involves words. Uh, you know, Halloween
3: costumes that culturally appropriate, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, are anathema. This is this is how finely calibrated their moral scruples are over here. You know, in the quad of an American uh, university. But you ask them to consider whether you, you know someone like Malala Yousafzai was badly treated by the Taliban, and they become tongue tied. Right. They, 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 and they will even say things like, well, who are we to right, right. criticize okay, so, an okay, culture? So that, so anyway, so that motivated me to say, all right, the smartest, most well-educated people in our society have become unmoored to any vision of, um, objective moral values, right? They have, you know, worse, they have, it, they have become anchored to a belief that, objectivity with respect to moral values
2: is impossible and certainly science will never have anything to say about it and not that science will never have anything to say about it but the idea that there are like objective moral values that exist outside of our minds and are like um, outside of like social social constructions i I don't believe that either i think that that morality and ethics can only come from um, uh, our beliefs
3: so they've seeded this ground to dogmatic religion, right? And, and someone like Stephen Jay Gould did this when he, he had this conception of the, the, the non-overlapping magisteria between religion and science, right? So science talks about facts and and what is, but religion talks about what should be and and, all, and, the, and the totality of human values. And I think that's you know, never been a tenable way of dividing the, the pie, um, and, but it has this obvious defect that you, where people who lose their religious convictions are then left standing on apparently nothing when it it comes time to say something like slavery is wrong. I mean, you literally have professors saying, well, you know, I don't like slavery. I don't happen to like it. I wouldn't want a slave. But, you know, I can't, you know, I can't
2: really say it's wrong from the point of view of the universe, right? Well, yeah, the universe doesn't care about us. That's a dumb, I mean, it's a dumb thing to talk about, I think. But if you want, if you ask me, does the universe care about slavery? I'd be like, no. But people do.
3: That's mm-hmm. that's not the that's not what science does, and my point is that morality, and this is perhaps something you're, you're going to want to to um, disagree with, but in my view, morality ha- morality has to relate to the the suffering and well being of conscious creatures. I mean, not even limiting it to, to humans, but just whatever can possibly suffer or be made happy in this universe is some is a, a possible theater of, of moral concern. And we know that mind that conscious minds must be arising in some way in conformity to the laws of nature. I mean so whatever is possible for conscious minds is a statement about at, at bottom, a a final scientific understanding of what minds are and what consciousness is and how those things are integrated with the physics of things. Um, and so there are, there have to be right answers to the question of how to navigate from the worst possible suffering for everyone to places on the moral landscape that are quite a bit better than that where there's there's beauty and creativity and joy of a sort that we can only dimly imagine and the question of how to do that it, it, and what that landscape looks like those are those are it's a fact-based discussion about science at every level that could be relevant to the conscious states of conscious minds so it's, I mean, it's it's a statement it's a discussion about genetics and psychology and neurobiology and sociology and economics and and any and and sciences as yet uninvented with respect to causality in this place and so that's that's my argument that there's we need a we need a spirit of consilience um across mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This, this 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 the domain of facts and values and um
0: yeah uh-huh. so there's more to say there but I'll, I'll i'll stop okay well okay well so i'm going i'm going to pick up a couple of themes there so one of the things that you pointed to was the incoherence manifested by this woman and and like people in relationship to micro narratives and macro narratives so you said that it was your in your opinion that she or the people who she might represent would be perfectly willing to be upset about some relatively minor issue that might arise on a university campus, like the wearing of inappropriate Halloween costumes, but are in. Okay, so here's another thing is what,
2: like, what do you have domain, <clears throat> what do you have the ability to influence? is the same argument about well why are you uh, so interested in uh local politics but you just vote for the president and don't spend a lot of time talking about the president it's the same argument like I, I if people like try to make that argument I'm like why why are you why why are you why are you upset that someone's engaged locally and just votes for whoever for the president and kind of lets it be they're making a uh, they're, he's making a version of that that dumb argument. The reason that this person who's a university professor is able to, is concerned with the things happening on the university and takes action and makes uh, statements about the things happening at the university is because those things are happening within, what, half a mile of their office? And so they have the ability to effect what they believe to be positive change at
0: the university where they work. Parent. In relationship to making broader-scale um, moral claims. Now, one of the claims of the postmodernists—this was um, put forward most particularly by who was it now? Who said that there were no meta-narratives? That postmodernism is fundamentally disallowance of the idea that any uniting meta-narratives are possible. I'll remember his name I mean, I mean, It could but be that,
3: Derrida or Foucault or.
0: Yeah, okay. no, it's, it's, uh, but
2: it, postmodernism is literally the school of thought that came after modernism and it is skeptical of some of the grand narratives of
0: modernism, but not all of them all of the time. It's not, he, he, he he's the guy who generated simulation theory, another Frenchman, uh, yeah. um, no, Beaudri- Baudrillard? He'll, he'll, it, it's a rogue. Yeah, yell. Baudrillard, it's Baudrillard. Yeah. It's a Baudrillard. Gallery. Yeah, 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 it's Baudrillard. Yeah. Okay. So here's the okay. problem with that um well the problem with that in part is that there's no united action and perception at any level without a uniting narrative so for example if i just move if i pick up a glass to move my a cup from the table to my lips i have to organize all those extraordinarily complex actions, right, which cascade up from the molecular level through the musculature of my body, I have to organize that into something that's coherent and unified in order to bring about any action whatsoever. And what that implies is that there's a hierarchy of uniting structure. And what the postmodernists do is arbitrarily make that halt at a certain level. It's like, so you're allowed a uniting narrative or structure up to a certain level, but beyond that, you're not allowed. Well, no, you're allowed whatever you want. Like people
2: who, <clears throat> uh, people who don't think that they have the answer for every person on the planet. That's not postmodernism. That's sort of what they're saying is that, that, <clears throat> that they, they think that the postmodernists should have a grand meta narrative for everyone on the planet, and you don't.
0: I don't. You don't. They don't at all. And that's the point at which the meta narrative emerges. And those are now forbidden. And I don't understand that because I think that it's an arbit- a distinction between a narrative and a meta narrative. Is a is a. It's an arbitrary distinction. And you can't attend or act without a uniting narrative. So now you're, you seem to be pointing to something like that. So let, let me walk through your argument. You, well, you point to the add one other,
3: I'll, I'll add one other, which I think is a simpler defeater, which is that they that the claim is that there, there can be no universal values, right, and a, a universal truth claim for respect to right and wrong and good and evil, and yet they tacitly make the universal claim that tolerance of this ethical diversity is better than
2: intolerance right so so there but that's not that's not a universal claim of right and wrong that's a that's a claim of better than worse than right and wrong or absolutes better than worse than exist on a spectrum why are these people why, why is this why why is this guy like how is what he's saying smart it's black and white thinking it's a false dichotomy it's like a it's like one of the the first logical fallacies that you learn about and as we need
3: to tolerate we need to find some space in our minds to tolerate the difference of opinion offered by the taliban or hamas or some other, some
2: other <clears> yeah actually sort. <clears throat> sure you can tell them they're wrong and to go fuck themselves but in the end what are you going to do Now, when that opinion informs behavior, you uh, different people in different places in the world, different organizations can decide whether or not to intervene if they believe that's the right thing to do. But just a a viewpoint, these people are all. These people, we're gonna we'll watch a video after this from uh, Killett, which is largely um, politically aligned with the two of these, and they're gonna complain about the lack of viewpoint diversity in Australian uh, universities. So. I don't understand what the, I don't understand. Um,
3: but that doesn't make any sense. That's, that's an appeal to tolerance. One that they, you know, the, the Taliban and Hamas don't share. Right. So we're
2: tolerating their intolerance. Uh, but it's, a, it's, it's also the tacit claim well, But that- We aren't, they're not doing anything. Like we're on the other side of the fucking world from them. And our attempts and the West's attempts to intervene over there have only made things worse. So what are we supposed, Oh, is it just about fucking, do you disavow the Taliban? Because, okay, I disavow the Taliban. Okay, what now? Like, okay. Like, okay, what now? Like, then what? Are we done? Have we solved the fucking morality problem? Because I, I suppose a postmodernist, he would probably think I am, have disavowed the Taliban. OK now, okay, now we've solved that problem. Uh, then what? So what? That doesn't mean anything.
3: Tolerance is better. You know, tolerance on our own.: side Tolerance is, better, is the united you know? narrative. Yeah, Sure.
0: Yeah. Well, you see the same thing with the postmodern insistence, and this is particularly true of people like Foucault, that nothing rules but power. Right? Foucault dead. Because Foucault saw power making itself manifest everywhere. And the fundamental postmodernist claim is that there's no uniting meta narratives, but that didn't stop the postmodernists for a second in making the claim that you could find power relations underlying every single form of human action and social interaction. So I,
2: I think he's misrepresenting uh, things. I think he's grossly misrepresenting someone's work here. I don't know. I'm not an expert on this stuff, but. That sounds like an absolute like a very absolute like there's no power relationship between me and somebody I've never met. I mean there might be an economic power disparity that would play out if we met or if we had um if we had to negotiate about something sure. Actually now that I think about it yeah power is uh, in human interaction yeah uh, power disparities uh do always exist. They don't always manifest themselves but they certainly exist.
0: But this now, this meta this uniting narrative. See, you you point to it in a way that I think that that points out to me a very fundamental element of agreement between the positions that you and I have taken, even though we've had so much apparent disagreement. Oh, when are you going to get to that part? You point to the Taliban and you say, at minimum, we can say with some degree of certainty that what the Taliban are doing is not optimal. Okay, and you said that's a claim that's so weak in a way that it should just be self-evident. Right. Right. You know what I mean by weak? It's like, isn't that obvious? Well, you know, I started in my investigations at a more extreme point, I would say. I looked at the camp guard in Auschwitz who enjoyed his work and thought, I don't know what good is, but at minimum, it's the opposite of whatever the hell that is. And so that, that was a starting point for me. And it seems to me- Well,
2: that that's, part- but now you're, now you've gone just to the absolute worst example. Yeah. Okay. I disavow that
0: camp guard too. Now we can move on. Fantastic. What you're like- doing is that you- Put your foot firmly on the head of evil and say, well, this is a starting point. And even though we can't define good, we can de- define it as the opposite of whatever that whatever this is. And so does that seem like a reasonable point of agreement between us? Yeah, as far al- as you're concerned. Yeah, although I think this this is perhaps a
3: a different topic, but it 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 um certainly adjacent to what you just said. I think there's some ethical paradoxes here which would be interesting to consider because I I think most of human evil of the sort that you you and I are now describing doesn't require the presence of actually evil people, right? I think there are evil people. I think there are true psychopaths and sadists who, for whom it's, you know, it is true to say that if evil means anything, it it should be applied to their, their conscious states and their psychology. But so much of what we consider to be evil and so much, so much of what produces needless human misery, uh, is the result of otherwise normal people psychologically behaving terribly because they believe fairly crazy and unsupportable things about you know what reality is and how they should live within it. So you know I would I would by no means ever want to suggest, in fact I'm at pains to to say otherwise whenever I can remember to, that you know, all jihadists or even most jihadists, or all Nazis or even most Nazis are were psychopaths right i mean the, the the horror of these belief systems is that they is not that they act like bug lights for the world psychopaths and you and you attract a lot of people who would be doing terrible things anyway and they just they just happen to start doing it in this new context let's say under the islamic state um, no you you certain ideologies attract totally normal people who would otherwise be totally recognizable to us psychologically and socially as good normal people but for the fact that they convinced they got convinced that you know of whatever the,
0: the relevant dogma is you know in the case okay of, yeah okay. okay well so okay, i would say that's another point of agreement we we it seems to me that that the the pathological the systems that produce rapid movement towards social and psychological pathology both facilitate psychopathic behavior and attract the psychopaths i would say it's it's both of those you can have both of those operating at the same time right and so then what we have are people we have systems of ideas working in the background and those systems of ideas draw people into their orbit and motivate them to do things that under the influence of other systems of ideas they might not be inclined to do So this is as good a place as any to end the podcast
2: portion of the show, because this is the season finale, we're going to go ahead and give the uh, member show away. People can go to patreon.com slash echoplex and just download the whole video and audio of the whole thing tonight. We're actually going to watch the rest of this. Um, I know it's kind of, dare I say boring, Um, but this being the season finale, we can't possibly only listen to 51 minutes of this. And take these people grossly out of context. So that's that. Uh, it's been a fun year here on the Intellectual Dollar Tree. We've widened the scope of the people that we talk about. But we came right back to the very beginning here with uh, this particular piece of content. And... Um, We'll see what's going on in the new year. Me and uh, HK are probably going to have a little meeting about branding and that kind of stuff. Things might change a little bit, but not too much because this show has been pretty successful, especially when you compare it to some of our other uh, (laughs) misguided attempts at podcasting. So uh, just everybody who's listening on the pod, thank you very much. Um, Consider while you're over there at Patreon joining, or even better, go to eplex.store and uh, join over there. You get the same benefits the patrons do, plus you get discounts anytime you buy anything from our shop which is actually a pretty cool thing for us to be able to do uh, shout out to Patreon. They've made this year. Amazing. They've allowed me to pretty much go full time on this. So, um, people who are uh, watching live, just stick around. I got to change the color of the lights in the room. Got to change the content of my beverage and we'll be back to watch the rest of this in red light. It'll be the last time we play boomers by Periscope. I think this year, Be right back.